Scripture reading for this morning is John 5 and verse 39 and Hebrews 4 and verse 12. Just those two verses. The title of the message is The Subject and the Purpose of the Bible. And I have a reason for naming it that particular title, as you will see. In John 5 and verse 39, Jesus has been speaking to those who believe that they are the chosen of God, the religious establishment in his time. And he says to them, Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. They are they which testify of me. Actually, in the Greek, it says, you search the scriptures, for in them ye think, ye, plural, that ye have eternal life, and they, that is the scriptures, are they which testify of me. And of course, the problem at that time was the religious establishment made all kinds of slurs and remarks to Jesus whenever he said anything. They said, what, well, he's not yet 50 years old. Uh, we be not born... Uh, of fornication, in other words, they were calling him a bastard, an illegitimate child, and various other things. They always opposed the Lord when he was here on earth. And then in Hebrews 4 and verse 12 that I read to you, it says, For the word of God is quick, or that is living, and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner, a judge of the thoughts and the intents or intentions of the heart. Father, we pause to thank you for your precious word. We ask that you would send forth the word to accomplish what you would in our hearts and minds, our lives. You promised to bless the word, so we ask that you would indeed do that. We know that we'll not return to the void. We ask that you would accomplish in our hearts and minds that which you would this morning. Give us hearing ears and understanding hearts. Enable us, Father, to know those things that you would have for us this morning. Rebuke the evil one and the demon powers that serve them. Cast them out. Give us freedom and peace from them, Father. Help our minds to be stayed upon the things at hand. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'm sure that you know that there are people who read the Bible in our present day and who do so for many different reasons. Now, when I was in college, even at that time, there was at least one course for the reading of the King James Bible, appreciation of prose and poetry. It had nothing to do with the fact it was the Word of God. It was simply because of the beauty of the language, and we have that today many times. And there are some people who read it simply as literature. And they don't believe what it says. They simply like the portions that they read because of the poetry and the prose, the narrative, their good stories, and uh, that sort of thing. There are others who read the Bible simply to say that they have read it. And I've talked with people through the years. I can think of one particular person who comes to my mind this morning. It's been many years. They say, well, I've read the Bible. I don't see how it could be true. I'm not only sure that they read it when they say that, but there are some people who read the Bible for whatever purpose it may be, just simply to say that they have read the Bible, and in their list of classical literature and so on, they have read that 
as well as the classics. And then there are also others that come to the Bible and read it in order to put something into it. There are those today who, because of the cults that they run or have organized, because of the groups that they represent, they come to the Bible to try and find something that will support their position. Now, a few years ago, a man named Eric Von Daniken had written a book, and I don't remember the name of it, Chariots of the Gods, it just came to me, he wrote some others too, where he purported that outer space people came here to the earth and began this civilization, gave us the things that we have, and he would go to the Bible and try to prove that from the scriptures. Now, there are people today, uh, a Baptist minister in particular is a heretic, he's on his way to hell unless God saves him, but he has said many times in my hearing on television that he said, for example, Ezekiel. Oh, when Ezekiel saw that great vision and he saw the wheel within the wheel, like spaceship. That absolutely is a flying saucer. Not so. What was it? Well, we don't have time to get into that this morning. But it was not a flying saucer. Still others will come and say, you see here, I had a person tell me, reincarnations taught here in the Bible. Which surprised me because I've never seen that in the Bible. And the reason is, it's not there. So there are people who come to the Bible and they try to find things. Now you and I could take a verse of scripture and make a doctrine. I mean, you can't do that. You have to see the whole Bible from beginning to the end. You have to see that when scripture teaches something one place, it teaches it someplace else. Either by precept or direct admonition or whatever the case might be. There are still others who read the Bible in order to take away from it. And there are many books that have been published in the last 25 years, I have some of them in my library, that purport to give the various contradictions of the scripture. And there are people now who are writing uh, portions, I, I just read a book not long ago, and the fellow said, the flood theory of the Bible, well, number one, it's not a flood theory, it's the truth, it's the word of God, but he said the flood theory of the Bible was stolen from other cultures. There is a flood story in other cultures, albeit it's slightly different, but it's the same thing. A person and his family was saved when the earth was overrun by water, began a new race of people, didn't begin a new race, they just simply continued what God had destroyed. And they said, that's in all kinds of other cultures, and it is, by the way. And so they said the Bible stole that. Did it ever occur to them that they all stole that from the scripture? No, because the human mind always says, well, this has to be wrong, the Bible's wrong and men are right. So there are books that are published for that reason. There are people who come to the Bible and they say, this couldn't possibly be true. So they come to the Bible to take things away from it or to make it say something it does not. Now most all these people use the Bible for some purpose other than God's purpose. You know, just because a person says that they read the Bible doesn't mean that they're a saved person. You say, well, how can that be? George Patton, who was one of my favorite generals in the U.S. Army, read the Bible every day. In fact, he swore, he used an expletive when he was asked about whether he read the Bible every day. And he used God's name in vain when he said that he did. And he quoted scripture. Was George Patton saved? I very much doubt it, but I can't tell you for sure. A tree, a spring, can't bring forth both salty water or brackish water and sweet water. It just won't work. You can't go home, you can't drill a well out here in the country and, uh, well, uh, Brother A.C. can't go to the well and one day, oh, that's sweet, good water. And then the next morning it's all brackish and salty and ionized, he can't stand it, but maybe later in the day it'll turn sweet again, that doesn't happen. 
A well gives forth whatever kind of water it gives forth. It doesn't change continually back and forth. But all of these people use it for some other purpose than God has given. And Jesus would say to them, as he did in Matthew 22, 29, he said, you do err not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. Two things there. He said, you err not knowing the scriptures. There are a lot of people today who preach and teach and conduct their own kinds of ministries and organizations who don't know the scriptures. They'll tell you something that's not in the scriptures or they perverted something that's there. Nor the power of God, and that's the important thing. Where is the power of God? Well, it comes from the scriptures, but it's in you and I when we're saved. We don't have time to stop and preach on that this morning. The Bible that I hold and the one that you hold in your hands this morning is the word of God. It has a definite subject and purpose which makes it the greatest book ever written. Never one better. It's the only book that God gives, that God wrote, about which we can say, as the 119th Psalm in the fifth verse says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. It shows us where we're going, and a light unto my path. It lights the way ahead, and it shows us where we shouldn't go, and where we should go. Now we should behave ourselves, whether you're a young person this morning, or an older person. Proverbs 6 and 23 says, For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is a light. And then I like the last part of that verse. It says, And reproofs of instruction are the way of life. And that's what the Bible does for us. It gives us a lamp and a light and instruction in the way of life. If we went this morning... Well, let's take an example. We'll go back to the doctor I spent time with Friday. And we said to him, how can I live as long a life as possible? But you've got to have the right diet and the right nutrients. You have to exercise. You have to do this, that, or the other thing. But that's not the answer. We could ask someone else, and they would tell us, well, the longest life possible, you'll be reincarnated, you'll come back as another person, another person, another person. You know, that would appeal to me more than coming back as an animal. A lot of animals I wouldn't come want to come back as. But that's not the answer, and that's not the truth. How do we have the longest possible life? By receiving the Lord Jesus Christ and being a God's child. And we have life eternal. It never stops. It goes on forever with him. And a brand new heaven and a new earth and all those things in the eternal ages that we haven't even touched upon as yet. Let's look and stir up our minds as to the subject and purpose of this book afresh. And at the same time, we want to give God thanks for his revelation and instructions to us through it. What is the subject and the purpose of the Bible? Someone might say eternal life. That is there, but that's not the subject. That may be one of its purposes to show us the way of eternal life, but that is not the subject and the primary purpose of the scripture. What is it? Well, let's start, first of all, by saying this. Jesus Christ is the subject. He's the subject from the beginning of Genesis all the way through the end of Revelation. You say, wait a minute. Jesus was born in New Testament times 2,000 years ago, not 6,000 years or whenever, but he was there. How can that be? Well, we'll show you in just a moment. 
Jesus and his revelation to us in the is the Bible's supreme subject. His perfections, his person, his beauty, and his fellowship and communion with us, his children, and his person and his work are presented in different ways throughout the entire Bible, all the pages of Scripture. He's there, or something about him. In the Old Testament, we'll go back farther than this, but we can find that Moses and Joseph were types of Christ. The tabernacle, the ark, that we were began to, to teach about the Lord Jesus Christ back in those times, in the early times, looking forward to the cross. And now we look back to what Christ has done, and we have all of the explanation in the New Testament of the Old Testament. The Old Testament contains the New Testament concealed. The New Testament contains the Old Testament revealed. You learned that no doubt a long time ago in Sunday school or whatever. It's true. The entire Bible is the word of God and the Lord Jesus Christ is its subject. In this book of life, we can see that Jesus Christ is the creator. You see, there are a lot of people today who say, Jesus, yes, he began Christianity. He was a great teacher. Uh, he was also God, just like we can become God. That's a lie. That's not true, no matter what the Mormons may tell you or anyone else who believes those heresies. Jesus was the creator. And in Genesis is seen the creation of God and the word Elohim that's there, the plural in the Hebrew, when God said, let us make man our likeness, let us go down. Why is it plural? Because he's God in three persons. It's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit speaking to themselves as they go down to do whatever it is that they're going to do. And that's why the plural is used. It's to describe the Trinity at work. And the truth is made clear if you and I are just simply careful to look at it and study it in the New Testament, which speaks of Jesus, when we read in John 1 and 3, it says, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything that was made. The Lord Jesus Christ was the creator. Yes, God the Father, but also the Lord Jesus Christ. says nothing was made without him. He created everything. Well, what does that tell us? That tells us that he was here before the universe, was he not? Yes. Not Allah. Not Buddha or Confucius or any of the other false gods. None of the so-called holy books. And uh, I suppose if there were a Muslim hearing me blaspheme that today, I could be put on that list. I don't know. But the truth is the truth. The Quran is not the word of God. The Bhagavad Gita is not the word of God. All the other so-called holy books and so on are not the word of God. This is the word of God. Again, over in Colossians 1, I like to use a lot of scripture. I want the scripture to speak. So consequently, I do that a lot. In Colossians 1 and verse 16, for by him, who? Jesus, firstborn. By him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in or on earth, visible and invisible. What does that mean? That means that the trees and the grass and the hills and the rivers and the Grand Canyon and the uh, 
north and south pole. Everything else was created by him. They're visible things and so on, people. And the invisible, what's invisible? You and I cannot see the angels that are around us. You and I cannot see the spiritual world in the next dimension, though it's here. And I believe that angels come into the assemblies to hear what's preached and so on. But we cannot see them. But Jesus is responsible for all their creation. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities, great powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things. And by him all things consist. What is it that keeps us breathing this morning? God does. What is it that causes the seasons to change? Spring isn't far off. Isn't that good? I'm glad. It's 21st or 22nd of next month on the calendar. That's good enough for me. What is it that makes the seasons? What happens when we plant? Whatever Brother Metzger plants or whoever does farming, what is it that causes the things to sprout? They die first, by the way, and then they sprout. And they come up. What causes the rain and the seasons and what causes all the things that take place? God, the Lord Jesus Christ, it just says so right here. All things consist by him. All things were created by him. Jesus Christ is supreme ruler of the world. That's also shown to us in the scripture. He's the subject of the Bible, and that's one of the, that's the second teaching I want you to see. While the Bible points to God, the Father, as the supreme sovereign being in his estate, in his realm as God the Father, his work, it's clear that Jesus is also sovereign in that he is to rule the world. How do I know that? You say, well, are there other places besides the New Testament? Sure. The Old Testament as well. You can find in the second Psalm and verse 7. Listen to it. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son. Speaking of Jesus, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron, and thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. And if we had time, we could trace that all the way through the Bible, teaching us that the Lord Jesus Christ will one day rule the earth. The day is coming when all will confess and bow before Jesus, who is the subject of the Bible. You say, isn't that ironic that today people who refuse Christ, people who through their life and their being, now I've had people refuse Christ this week when we were talking about that fact. They refused his work. I've had people say to me, I believe in God. God will forgive me. What about receiving the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, God is the supreme being. And whatever they tell you, then they're edging away from that. They're denying the Lord Jesus Christ. So you say, well, I know what scripture you're probably going to use. You're going to use the one that says, there's none of the name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Yes, but... Back in Isaiah 45 and verse 22, I want you to see a scripture. It says there, look unto me. Verse 22, it really 
the Hebrew says turn unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is none else. I have sworn by myself. The word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return. That unto me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear. So the time's coming when all these people who reject Jesus Christ, their knees are going to bow and they're going to confess, but it's too late on the other side. The die has been cast. And when death comes to any of us, when the Lord takes us from this life, whether we're young or old or whatever age we are, however it comes, the die is cast. Whatever state you're in, that can't be changed. Now, Jehovah's Witnesses have a communion teaching. They say that one day at the resurrection of everyone, you sleep until then, and at the resurrection of everyone, you'll be given a second chance. Do you want to become a Jehovah's Witness at the Battle of Armageddon, or do you want to be obliterated? Well, I don't know. I don't want to become a Jehovah's Witness, then you're obliterated. There's no teaching like that in the Scripture. But the Jehovah's Witnesses think so. And what God tells us, he says, the time will come when all these people will be judged, and they will confess, and every knee will bow. You mean even the horrible monsters in history will do that? Sure. All of them. God allows in his plan and purpose revealed in the Bible for nations and peoples to rise and fall and come and go. The Lord Jesus Christ is at the heart of that. But the last great kingdom will be from God and it will be ruled by Christ and there will never be an end to that. As long as we're in um, the Old Testament, we can go over to Daniel. And I want you to notice in Daniel... In the second chapter, Daniel was going to give an interpretation, and he knew the night visions and so on. But I want you to notice his words in 20 and 21 of Daniel 2. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. What do the potentates and the dictators of the earth say? Might and power are theirs. I am the most powerful man on the face of the earth at this time. I have the most wisdom of anyone on the earth. Wisdom and might are God's and to those whom he chooses to give it. But notice verse 21. And he changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know or that have understanding. And then on over... In Daniel 7, I want you to notice in verse 13 and 14, speaking of the kingdoms will never have an end. I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days. I like that title, Ancient of Days. I like that song that Jenny sings about the Ancient of Days. And they brought him near before them, and there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom that shall not be destroyed. The final kingdom the Lord Jesus Christ brings will always be, never change, like those on the earth. Then I want you to see Jesus Christ is the incarnate word. He's the revelation of God to us, to mankind. He's the physical embodiment of what God is. And he's the revelation of God's nature and being. 
If you've seen him, you've seen God, he says, in that respect. Jesus' expression of what God is, the everlasting word. John 1.1 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Who's this talking about? The Lord Jesus Christ. Part of the Godhead. There in the beginning. And men come to know God, how? Through the Lord Jesus Christ. And his work by means of divine revelation. Can we discover God by following the teachings of anyone else or trusting anyone else? The answer is no. Can you know God by trusting me and having me teach you what I think? No, I have to teach you what the word of God says. Well, surely all the millions upon millions of Muslims who trust in Allah, who is God, God and Allah uh, that we're talking about are not the same people. Jesus says there is what? Only one way. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Period. People say, well, you're a bigot and you're narrow-minded. Well, God's narrow-minded. He says that he is the only way that we can come. Over in Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, let me turn to that quickly. I want to read you a portion from that. God, who at sundry or different times and in different manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us how? By his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things. Did you see that? Heir of all things. And do you know what? The joint heirs get that too. Who are the joint heirs? You and I, all those who are saved. We're heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ of all things by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus is portrayed in the Bible as Savior and the only one who is Savior. He's presented to us in this way from the beginning of man at the creation all the way down through the New Testament even into that which is yet future, the new heavens and the new earth. How do I know that? Because I just read some portions to you. You know, Jesus promised, was the promised seed back in Genesis, you may go back to it in, in 3 and 15, when God said that her seed, the Lord Jesus Christ, would crush the seed of the serpent but the servant would wound him in the heel as he did when he was crucified. But there probably is the first mention of the Savior. And Jesus is Jehovah's servant who bears the sin of his people. You can go back to Isaiah 53 and you can see that the sins of all of us were laid upon him. You can see that he is the one who took our transgressions. You can see there in Isaiah 53, the Bible says, All we like sheep have gone astray. Everyone has turned to his own way. The Bible shows him not only our sacrifice for sin, as 1 John 2, 2 says, I quoted that to you last week. He is the propitiation, the living mercy seat. He's applied his own blood once and for all, and we don't have to go through that ceremony anymore. And it's done. 
now and for eternity. He is a propitiation for our sins. Not only that, but the Bible shows us that he is our high priest, as I read to you. And he is the high priest who is touched by our infirmities. He is the high priest in verses 25, 6, and 7. Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Chapter 7 of Hebrews, verse 25. For such a high priest becometh us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate, it says, from sinners. And made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer sacrifice, first for their own sins, and then for the people. For this he did once, and he offered up himself. Praise God for that. The Bible presents Jesus as the greatest subject and savior to all who will see and accept that. Now, I know our time's getting away and I should have been gone and all that sort of thing, but I want to point out to you the Bible's purpose. The manifestation of the glory of God is the Bible's great purpose. From the beginning of creation all the way down and out into eternity, the purpose is always manifest. It's always clear. The angels were created to do what? Glorify God. The design of the material creation is such that it does what reflects God's glory the firmament the heavens and man was created in God's image and likeness for what for that same purpose that's what we're supposed to do so when man glorifies himself he sins a great injustice because he is imperfect but when man glorifies God then God's glory is manifest to the benefit and blessing of man. For God then gives man faith and peace of mind. The more man comprehends the glory of God, the greater is man's blessing from God. Because we learn to walk in that. We see it and we understand it. We grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And concerning God's glory, the Bible says that all creation was created for God to his glory. I read that to you in Colossians 1, 16 and 17. Therefore him. Psalm 19, 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. Indeed they do. Have you ever gone out? I come home. I come home late. I come home at 10.30, sometimes 12.30, quarter to 1 in the morning, depending on how long I must work. And I get out, and on the nights it's clear. I can look up and see the stars and just think those stars are so far away. It takes so long for the light to get here. And yet... That's not too far away for God. He's there. He created those things. All the marvels. You know, man always says, we've just discovered black hole. We think we've discovered another galaxy. We think we've discovered God already knows about that. He created all that. Carl Sagan now knows the truth of God's word. Whether or not he's with God or in conscious suffering away from him. We want to point out to you that salvation is to the glory of God. Did you know that? Absolutely. People act like sometimes we make a decision so we won't have to go to hell. And then that's okay. We just go along and we've made that decision and it's okay. Well, when you receive the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll not be lost, but it's a purpose. 
God doesn't just simply save us. He just didn't save me and say, there, now you go ahead and do whatever you want to do and I'll be back in 70 years and bring you home. He deals with us in certain ways. Some of us he may want to serve him as pastors or teachers. Some of us he may want us to serve him just in our everyday life and witnessing and, and being the kind of people he wants us to be. All of us should be that. But salvation is for glory. How do I know that? Ephesians 2 and verse 4. But God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, loved, past tense, continues to do so, even when we were dead in sins, hath done what? Quickened, made us alive together with Christ, by grace are you saved, and hath raised us up together and made us to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, what? He might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Jesus Christ. For by grace you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And then he goes on to say that, for we are his workmanship. In other words, we are his creation, is what the Greek says. Created in Christ Jesus to do what? Unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. That's all his name's honor and glory. Therefore, beloved, all of our service and our work should be unto God and to his glory. That's why sometimes you'll hear me pray at the end of the service, 1 Corinthians 10.31. It tells us there that whether therefore you drink, you know, whether you eat or whether you drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. If we practice that, we wouldn't get in so much trouble sometimes, would we? But we're infallible. We're in the flesh. We get angry sometimes. We think things we shouldn't say or think. We get upset, we do various things, we don't trust the Lord always like we should because we're in the flesh. But we strive for that mark, that perfection. So whether therefore we eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. I want to say this to you as we close. This then is the subject and the purpose of the scripture. What? The Lord Jesus Christ and manifesting his glory and all the instruction and everything else that goes with that for this life and that which is to come. It's a holy book. It's not like the people who just read it casually. Oh, yes, I've read the Bible and I teach it. Two nights a week at the university. It's beautiful literature, beautiful prose, and so on and so on. Now we read it because it's the word of God. It's life to us. It cleanses us. It reflects the glory of God in us. It convicts us of our sin. It teaches us and instructs us and blesses us and debases us and guides us, and does all those things. It's the most important book you can read, and you have to because it presents Jesus and God's plan and purpose for you. That's the most important book that you and I can have. I've had books that cost a lot of money, but none of them has ever compared with the Lord Jesus Christ, the subject of the greatest book that you and I can have. Father, we commit these thoughts into your hands. Bless us from the word, the living word and the written word. Help us to cherish and hold fast to the word, to read it and study it and grow in grace and knowledge thereby. And use that which you apply to us, Father. To your name's honor and glory we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.